yes, Grace. Um, it's a, this uh, word is very precious to Christians. I'm sure it probably is maybe the distinguishing thing from Christianity and all the other religions is, the, is its uh, emphasis on grace. Um, but grace isn't a, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word, but it's certainly uh, a, um, it's a, it's a broad topic as well. Sometimes people just have one idea of it, just meaning um, you, that, you know, whenever something wrong is done, it doesn't matter. You just, grace is like sort of uh, just uh, brushing it aside and so it doesn't matter, you know, that sort of thing, people. That tends to be often what happens these days, but... Um, The topic of grace is huge in that your very existence is also a grace and and, um, there's been some great uh, theological and philosophical works just on that topic and if you get into it, you realise it covers everything. You know when you hear the saying, when people say all is grace, that is literally true, um, even down to your existence and the seat you're sitting in and it can be quite an exciting topic but... Um, what I wanted to look at this morning was just uh, was modes of grace, some of the ways in which it comes to us. Um, and the first one I, uh, and again, it'll be referenced with scripture and also stuff I've witnessed myself and uh, experienced myself as well. Um, the first one is uh, grace can come to us and act like a wall. And what I mean with this is um, you're trying to, your heart is completely in the wrong place and you're trying to do the wrong thing and grace will actually stop you from doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like it literally, imagine yourself, I'm going to do that and it puts up a wall in front of you and you're trying to get through to it and it's just not letting you get to, to, to do what you, your heart's not right, it's not even soft or anything, it just, it just is preventing you. Um, and we see examples um, of the, the first, the big one you see in scripture, of course, in the New Testament is Paul. Um, before when he was before his name was changed, he was uh, his name was Saul, and he was a he used to kill Christians basically. And that he was on his way, uh, he was on the, the they call it the Damascus Road uh, experience. But here he is, uh, his heart set on hurting people, so he hasn't got any good intentions. The next thing, the grace of God stops him, like he's trying to uh, you know go beat people up basically. And grace is like a wall, and it knocks him off his off his horse or donkey, whatever it is, on that when he's on his way to do bad. Um, and I, I've seen this happen a little bit in when I worked in the rehab world for ten or more years. Seeing sometimes you get these stories back of guys that had um, had gone through rehab and something, and they all of a sudden goes, you know, stuff it. I'm just gonna just gonna get on the pleasure route again. And they go and get their drugs, and the drugs don't work. Like that's actually happened with some. So there's no goodness there and the grace of God actually stops the pleasure cycle from starting again. I'm not, I wouldn't guarantee um, <laughs> that process to anyone coming in, but that has happened. And that's an example, again, the grace of God actually preventing you from doing something. Um, again, you, you may have had examples in your life. Um, I've heard other ones where people have... Uh, tr- uh, you, you get in your head that you, you're going to go give that person, you've got this little speech planned out and you're going to, do, and then you get there and something stops you from delivering it. Has that ever happened to anyone? Um, uh, and you think, what happened to all my, you know, 
angry passion I had before and something just stopped you and drained you the moment you're about to start to unleash on someone. The next thing, where did that come from? And um, that wasn't my intention. Um, so um, you, I'm, I'm sure we've all got, there's smaller examples of that in, in all our lives. Um, the next one is uh, grace functions like a net. Um, which is the typical one people tend to think of now is that we've sinned, we've done something wrong and grace catches you after a fall. And um, one of the great examples of this is, is Psalm 51. Um, which, and this is a psalm David wrote after he'd committed adultery and then killed. Um, so he's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a... And he's going on his merry way until... Uh, what he called grace brings his attention to what's happened and i uh, i'll just read some of psalm 51 but this is a great example of the grace of god being a net it says have mercy on me O god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that I may be, may be justified by your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was uh, brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you behold, uh, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Um, that's a great psalm of a net. A major stuff up has occurred here, and can't you just see it? is God, it's catching him. He's falling now. He's, he didn't realize he was falling so hard until uh, um, the prophet Nathan awakened him to what he'd done. Um, but that's a great example. of, And probably this is the one we regularly experience during the week, isn't it? Like um, we do something and we find the grace of God catches us after we fall. Um, so that's a... The, the, I mean, I suppose a lot of people... That's the only one that gets emphasised a lot of time. As you can see, there'll be other ways in which it comes to you. Um, grace is also a power not to sin in the first place. Um, that's another way it comes to us. It's um, You see this with the story of, well, you see it with St. Peter in the Bible as well. You get this fearful, uh, a guy who's a deserter and God, the grace of God changes him to be the first fearless leader of the church who was crucified upside down that goes from someone who who uh who who was the most obvious deserter of all the disciples um peter put on a show because he he made a big fuss of how he's going to stand by christ as well and so he almost set himself up to be when we think of the deniers peter's the first to come to mind and um but he got the grace of god changes this this um this you know, this uh, deserter into a fearless um, uh, leader of the church. Um, but you also, also stories like Nicky Cruz from uh, Teen Challenge. Here you got this murderous gangster and the grace of God changes his desires from, you know, killing and maiming to a completely different heart, you know, and I suppose we would, that's probably the pinnacle of grace, you know, like it's nice that we can be forgiven after we sin, but God's leading you, hopefully, um, if you let him, 
he wants your heart to change so you don't want to. Do you know what I mean? And that's, I, I, I would say that's the state, the heavenly state of grace is that one. There will be no more desire for bad there. And that's what makes heaven so attractive, isn't it? Just to, We're not told a lot about heaven. In fact, our, our, the grandness of it is really what we know isn't there more than what is. And, and when we think of a world where there's no, you know, the, the hatred, the jealousy, the, and we think that's just got to be amazing. And it's sort of like, um, you know, the Bible says, I has not seen or he heard what is being prepared for us. So our, the way we relate to it is really by what is not there. And you think of a world without corruption and stuff, that's got to be good. So, um, but again, that's the, probably the beauty of heaven is that all desires are changed. And I think... Well, that's the heavenly grace that we all are heading for. Um, another mode of grace is grace is a consequence. Um, uh, has anyone heard of the late Chuck Colson? The man he 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 was famous in um, the uh, the Watergate scandal with Richard Nixon. He was one of Nixon's um, main guys, and from that whole fiasco, he ended up going to prison. And he went to prison a very uh, proud, egotistical man. And he always said that prison was the best thing that ever happened to him. So, um, it, you know, so it, the, the thing is, Chuck Colson went on to form two great, first of all, prison fellowship, which is world-renowned, and also the, um, the group, uh, he's a great champion for ecumenical stuff, and he helped put together the... Uh, the evangelicals and Catholics together group as well. And so he's, he's had amazing influence across the world. And it all happened. He said he thanked God for prison. See, the, the grace to change was actually that. Do you know what I mean? And the funny thing about uh, especially the modern, uh, the modern uh, Westerner is we are trying to get rid of all consequences. Sometimes the best things that actually happen is allowing a consequence to occur to awaken someone to change. Because if you keep taking consequence away, you're actually fighting against reality. And um, we tend to, into, I suppose, the dream of the modern Western person, even especially when it comes to sexual issues, is to sin like crazy and get rid of all the consequences. Most of these diseases that are ravaging universities and stuff is... is um, we want to keep doing what we're doing and have the medicine to st- to take away consequence. Um, and I've heard, I, I, again, I've heard this in the rehab world, guys say, nearly dying was the best thing that ever happened to me. The consequence was actually the grace to change that stopped the whole process from occurring. I've, I know, I've definitely heard guys say prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so, again, we, we need to expand our the way we view this topic because it is like i said it's absolutely huge now the the one um the last one i want to talk about is grace can also be locational and uh, i'll go on to explain it but this is one of the points sondi's been doing uh, a lot of promotion in the last month or so about the uh recalibrate and the um and it's all based off this book um and one of the uh core truths that stood out to me it wasn't a new thing because I'd certainly the rehab world that I came from 
operated precisely on the principles that are found in here. Um, so they're, they're reality principles, um, but the story is based on the Exodus. Is everyone familiar with the Exodus in the Old Testament? You get, um, you got those, if you, hadn't, if you haven't read it, you got the big classic movies like the Ten Commandments and stuff like that and with uh, Charlton Heston and the whole, the whole drama. Um, uh, so you've got... Um, Yeah, so you've got this, the, children, the people of Israel are in horrible slavery. Um, it's, they're literally working them to death. And this is the, so this follows their story. Um, and um, so it's, it's, it's the, the, you know, remember all the plagues that they had and all this sort of stuff. But what was the thing that released them from the power of Egypt? What was it? Yeah, the Passover. That was the thing. So all these crazy stuff like frogs and grasshoppers and all, all these plagues and still uh, the Pharaoh's heart is hardened until this, the Passover occurs and that's what cracks. It was the thing that freed them. Um, so I'll just read out. This is, um, this is the, uh, what God had asked them to do um, f- uh, in preparation for the Passover for the night that... Um, basically the angel of death was going to pass through. And this is what God had asked them to do. So this is from Exodus 12, uh, 12, 3 to 12. It says, uh, Let the congregation of Israel that, <clears throat> that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And, the <clears throat> and <clears throat> if the household is too small for the lamb, uh, then, he is, then he and his nearest neighbour shall take uh, according to the number of persons, according to what each shall eat, and you shall make an uh, account for, for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you shall take it from the, sh- from the sheep or the goats, and, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this, of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill, and eat, kill their lambs at twilight, and then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost um, of the houses which, in, in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, uh, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Um, do, not, uh, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its head, uh, with its legs and its inner parts. And you, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall, uh, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men uh, men and beast. Um, on, On all the gods of Egypt I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. So this is what, this is a key quote from the redemption book after that scripture. And it says... um, it says, God called them to put their faith to work, to paint the blood on the door, to obey. By grace through obedient faith, they receive the provision for their protection. Now, that story demonstrates a few things very clearly. And one is, the first one is, it's not faith alone or symbolic faith that works. Think about it that night. Would you be happy just to say... Oh, it's just faith alone and not do. Would you be comfortable knowing the angel of death was coming and just say, I've just got faith alone? It's not going to cut it. Um, 
What if you were into symbolism and you're just going to say, well, I like little lambs, they're cute, don't want to kill them. Um, so we're going to use, we're going to have red paint and that's going to represent the blood. And you paint it on there and then you say, we'll have chicken that night because we don't want to eat the lamb. Would you be comfor- comfortable knowing the angel of death coming? You say, well, would, it symbolises that. We, we take this as a symbol. You would not, I don't think you'd be that relaxed. Do you know what I mean? Like if you, I, I just read out to you how jolly detailed the instructions were and I would not like to be skimping on anything that was just read if you knew the angel of death was coming. Is, am I right? Um, and again, I suppose the, the, uh, one of the pictures from, uh, you know, the film The Ten Commandments, there was this scene that's not in the Bible which I think illustrates uh, the point well. I think one of the, I don't know if it was one of Moses's friends or something, but he'd, uh, one of them had an, uh, must have liked one of the Egyptian girls or something. So he, he ran in the movie and he painted the Egyptians or someone that he liked and just painted the blood on their doorpost and then raced them. We're thinking that their house would be saved. But when you think of what was asked of them, that wasn't the full thing that was asked. Imagine him going over there and, and he would have to actually say, force feed her the lamb. You, you want to miss it? This, this part of it takes it, it's not just something someone can do for you. When you partake, that's why the, the eating the lamb was so jolly important because it was something that you took into yourself. And it wasn't something that someone else can do for you. You had to eat it as well. That was part of the instruction. And we tend to, especially I suppose in the um, evangelical world, as we leave that side because it doesn't, we just talk about the blood, put the blood on the doorpost, but that's only half of it. It was the eating of the lamb that had to occur and it had to be all consumed, as you just read. Um, and that sets up another picture of, yes, you can do things for your household, but you must partake yourself. And that's um, uh, something that we don't like to spend a lot of time on for some reason because it doesn't sit comfortable with some of our traditions. Uh, grace... For freedom is not everywhere. Passover grace, which we read of in Exodus, operates inside boundaries of obedience. See, grace isn't everywhere that night of the Passover. It was in certain places. And those certain places were the ones within the bound of obedience, the people that had done just what we just read about. Just as an extreme example, imagine going to the vault in town and saying, uh, yeah, uh, God, uh, protect me from lust as I go in there. Do you think God's interested in that? It doesn't matter how much you pray outside that venue, you are not going to receive the grace to resist lust by going in there. It's not contained. There's no grace for you to resist lust in that venue. It does, it, and, and yet so many Christians do stuff like this. Um, and they think this by praying that prayer beforehand, before they go do something, some are going to make it null and void. It, it doesn't go like that. And you can see the example of doesn't matter how much you pray, you know, um, there's no grace for you in there to avoid to avoid lust. As much as as much as some of us don't want to admit it, grace is coupled with obedience, and obedience is a good work. Don't let the words "good works" make your reforma- put up your reformation guard when you show love, kindness, patience, faithfulness, etc., etc. Not only is it a good work, it's also obeying God. When, and where obedience is, there is freedom. Uh, heartfelt obedience is a deep expression of love. It's freedom and the ultimate good work. 
Now, when I say heartfelt obedience, you can, I'm familiar with a lot of people from liturgical backgrounds. Let me assure you, you can, you can obey God two ways. You can just do stuff like a robot, thinking that that will do it for you. But believe me, I've seen people that do the same thing. One has heartfelt obedience and the other just doing it in a robotic way and the effect will all go to the person with heartfelt obedience. Um, again, you think of words of Jesus when he says, if you love me, you will obey me. He's looking for your heart, not just robotic obedience, but heart obedience. And even the cry of God, help me obey you. That's a heartfelt uh, cry um, for obedience. You, you, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, um, it's a good work. Obedience is a good, like when you're patient. That's, why are we doing that? Because God wants us to. He's asked us to do this stuff. It's an act of obedience when you do good works. Now, again, we get to this whole thing of faith and works. Now, again, this has a, been a major drama in the, in the, you know, that split the church over this. And I think it's simply because, and I've seen some good theologians explain it this way, it's not, gra- it's not um, uh, grace and works, it's grace works. Can, can, it's like um, I work, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not separating. Real faith works. It, faith works. Do you, do you see the difference? Not splitting them apart. And basically, the nuance of that kept people fighting for centuries, going, is it works, is it great? It's faith works. Because if you find a faith, as James says, that doesn't work, it's not faith. So whatever you thought that was is not faith. It's got to do something. It does, that's just what it does. Faith does stuff. Um, now, you think of this when Jesus chose his disciples. None of them were looking for him. He turns up on planet Earth. So make no mistake, first call is always God. It's not you. So he comes to you. Jesus goes up to Matthew or any of the disciples and he chooses them. So they don't choose him, he chooses them. And then what did the next two words come out of his mouth? What were they? Follow me. So at that point then... um, Faith is starting to work because think of it this way. Is, there, is it possible? He, he, I just think of the example of Judas and James. Both of them were chosen, but it's the way they followed that made the difference. So you, can, uh, you cannot be a follower of a... And even the sign on the project at the front, was it? Making disciples of Jesus. Try being a disciple without following. It's not going to happen. You're not a disciple. Do you know what I mean? If you, imagine you've come up to Matthew and said, follow me, because no. <laughs> Well, it's, it's just not um, just a matter of God choosing you. There is this participation. He asks us to follow him. Um, what was the good work that the children of Israel did in, at, at the Passover? They obeyed God. That was their good work. Um, inside the boundary of their obedience, there was safety and freedom from death. The grace for freedom was within the houses of those who had slaughtered the lamb the right way, painted the blood on the doorpost, and then consumed all the flesh. Now, here's the, the, the last major point is you cannot have freedom on your own terms. Um, I have a very, uh, an example that will stay with me the rest of my life regarding my late father when he, about 15 years ago, he fell out of a tree and low, he didn't know it, but he got a brain hemorrhage. So this, he started off with a little headache. It got worse and worse. 
and being my dad and his German background seemed to be able to handle colossal amounts of pain and just I will I'll just keep going you know and so he's he got to the point where um his solution was he was just going to sleep this off and luckily my mum knew that it was way beyond that and said no you're going to the hospital so he goes to the hospital and they say you've got a massive brain hemorrhage um now at that point dad didn't get to choose the way he was going to be how he's how he's going to live if he was to to say oh i'm just going to take a panadol and sleep this off he wouldn't have lasted one more day in fact his situation was so bad they said he had the operation had to take place within the next six hours so you don't, when something is like, you don't get to choose your freedom. My dad didn't say, no, I don't think I'll take that option. There is only one option for him to live, and that was to go to the doctors and submit to sign the forms and let them, he literally had a piece of his head taken out. There was so much blood in there and drains and everything in there. That, he didn't get to choose um, the way he was going to be freed from that. And that's the same, you've got to understand... That with this particular with this story you find the, in, in of the Exodus, you don't get to choose the type of Passover you're going to have. It freedom, your freedom comes on God's terms. And think of it, you didn't make the decision to exist in the first place. So it's just continuing that theme on. You're not in control. You're not as strong as we're not as strong as what we think we are. Um, and even in the end. Um, the, Christ is Lord. Satan isn't Lord of death. Christ is. And even in that, you submit to what he, his good works, not, you, you won't make those decisions. It doesn't matter how violent the dictator is in this planet. They may seem powerful at this point, but as soon as they face death, they are as nothing. They are nothing. And all of a sudden, you find out how much power you really had, and that was nothing. And that submission, that just recognising that is going to do something to you. So um, freedom is not on your own terms. Now here's the thing is, there's no question about God wanting every single person in this room to be free. Um, it's just the, the question is whether you'll submit to his Passover. And that's the thing with this, again, with this so good about this book um, in, the, in the Recalibrate course, if it only works for those that obey. If God asks certain things to happen as, the, um, as you go through the course, as, uh, and also, again, I saw this in rehab all the time, if God asks certain things, it's only those who stick to the path of obedience that get the results. Anyone else that does, I saw this in rehab all the time, this was 100% the way it went. Any guy that said, you know, stuff it, I'm not doing that, and he, he, it, it, worked, it was always disaster. And those that were submitted to, and again, with these sort of group things, there's confessing stuff. If God, if that's, you know, if God leads you to do that, just do it. Because um, your, your freedom is on his terms and not your own. And if you take it back, you won't get it. It's just not going to happen. That's just the way. And that's what we see in this book too. It wasn't just, they didn't just escape out of Egypt and then it's all done. Do you, know, you realise that some that escape from here also perish because of later disobedience it's just you just got to keep following so it's not just a matter of it's not a once-off thing this is a journey so all those that escaped from there some of them then were struck down with other stuff because they worshipped other gods still so they'd escaped from egypt seen all that and then later on decided no we'll do our own thing again it just doesn't work because you didn't create yourself this is not your life really it's been given to you as a gift and so um that God's got knows what is best for you and what your true freedom is going to be.
So anyway, just in an ending point, um, grace does come with a warning. Like I've mentioned about four or five different types of modes of grace. Um, Again, you can't pick yours. Just say you go, I'm going to do that grace where... Uh, say it's a rehab guy and he says, I'm, I'm just going to use and if God doesn't want the drugs to it, he'll stop it. Or again, going to, uh, I'm going to go to the vault and if God doesn't want me to be there, he'll stop it. You don't get to choose the type of grace that God is giving to you. Do you know what I mean? It's not, that's, not your, uh, that's not your call. And again, so presuming on it is a bad move. And um, you see this example of, of a uh, story of Samson, you know the story of Samson in the Old Testament, where he he, he um, his strength actually, his supernatural strength was over a vow. He had to do certain things with his hair and certain Nazarene vows he took, and that's what gave him supernatural strength. It wasn't physical strength he had, and whilst he kept that, and the whole deal was don't break this vow and you'll have this strength. So anyway, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't follow through with that and. Uh, uh, gives his secret to a uh, girl he f- fell for and so she um, basically uh, sold him out and this is what it says but this is from uh, uh, Judges 16.20 it says then then she called uh, Samson the Philistines are upon you and he awoke from his sleep and thought I'll go out as before and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him then the, then the Philistines seized him gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza um, binding him with bronze shackles and they set him to grinding in the prison. That's an example of presuming on grace. That'll work for me every time. Uh, but here's the weird thing is, even in that circumstance, grace still came to him as the form of a consequence. So, And he finished off his life doing more because the, the Philistines were, a, a, were real barbarians. barbarians and they, um, he ended up he was blinded physically, but he seemed to gain his spiritual eyes again. And his last stand, he took out more of them in the temple on the last, his last stand than he ever did during his, his whole time. So, um, again, grace, the consequence of sending him to prison, actually, you see how grace can still use that? And we don't think that that consequence, oh, darn it, look, he stuffed up. And they're not realizing that that consequence, God was going to do something good with that too. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I mean, I, here's a, I think of another example actually of a guy that I remember when I was uh, doing music full time in the club scene, and this guy that became a Christian, he he um, and he was right out of the scene too. Was a mad raging drunk, like he was always drunk, and um, he had a major life change after you know committing himself to Christ. And after about two years, he just went through his pre goes, oh, blow it, I'm just going to get back into it again. And we met him one night, um, he was at the uh, CBD pub, what they call it, the Gladstone now. And I remember him, he said, what, where have you been, what are you doing? He goes, um, oh, I'm just going to have fun for a while again. And he said, um, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Have you heard? And it's sort of like, I don't, I didn't, I, I said, look, God's grace is amazing and it covers all angles. But here's the thing is, when you do that, you don't know how much sin is going to change you. You don't know if you're going to want to ask for forgiveness. And that's the risk is like, I'm not saying God hasn't, you know, the plan for his life. I don't know where he is at the moment. Um, but certainly there is a risk in um, 
sin doing stuff to him, we actually don't want to ask for forgiveness. He may think he can ask for it, but he mightn't be able to. Because committing yourself to doing stuff like that, it twists you. And it actually starts to change you into a person that's unable to do it. And that's the risk. So this, don't presume on the grace of God. Now, the other thing is, it, this makes you all nervous, going, oh, there seems to be so much weight on me. Am I going to make the right decisions? Am I going to... Uh, I, I don't want to presume on grace. I don't... You know, God help me. How am I supposed to get through this life? Um, is realizing that my, my brother said something over Easter. He went to Mass a couple of times over Easter and he said the thing that stood out to him was how many times during the liturgy the words, uh, and you might have heard them before, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. The asking for mercy was constant. It was throughout the whole thing over and over again. He said it just struck him that this is our call card if you want to if you're confused and you don't know what to do or how to navigate this life call out to god for mercy because i've found as soon as i discovered those ancient prayers and practices it has been when i'm totally confused that's what i go to i say god have mercy and it works everything it puts you in the right position to see him properly especially when you're confused and you just don't know what, what am I supposed to do? And just say, God, have mercy. And it, puts, it immediately puts you in a position of humility. And God's grace comes from all angles at you. I've never known that one not to work. And anyone that sincerely asks for mercy has never been denied. Um, so, uh, again, don't let, you know, just because I've named off all these other types to start, you know, oh, is it that one? Is it this one? Just ask God for mercy and you'd be amazed at... Um, You'll probably see it in hindsight when you step back and you look at your life and you just go, my gosh, that was the wall I tried to do. That was the wall, you know, and let it just make you thank God rather than trying to work out all the time or which grace am I getting at the moment. But understand also your freedom is not on your terms. And that is, and particularly for those that are, of you that are interested in doing the recalibrate thing, let me assure you that that's the fact. Don't expect, it's not one of those things where um, you turn up and it's just a magical zap Holy Spirit moment. It's the reshaping of your soul. And that doesn't, generally speaking, or certainly hasn't happened in my life, it's not moments of instant, oh, bam, it's all done. It's, man, character and virtue is a slog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I'm happy for those, even the people you see with miraculous conversions, you bet your boots five years down the track that they are having to fight to uh, get to, for virtue. It just isn't, you know, you hear about, we keep, we hear about the honeymoon period all the time, but don't, Nicky Cruz went through very difficult times after this miraculous conversion. He had to fight for the virtue that he has now as a Christian. It doesn't just, uh, so I almost think of it sometimes as virtues like an apprenticeship. Um, you, you, your master craftsman, your, your, the person you're learning off is Christ. And all, you know, all the lives of the saints too, when you look at what they, they, they are the masters and you can learn from them in the art of, um, of, of virtue. But it's not something uh, that you get instantly. So if you, you know, God, I want to be patient, I want it now. You know, it doesn't, it, if he did it, he would actually be not making you patient. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, to get that virtue, you actually have to go through things that produce it. There's just no other way to get that virtue. So, um, but again, I just want to emphasize the point of just ask God for mercy. And especially after Easter, if that doesn't, just looking at 
the purity of Christ and then you see yourself, if that, that's, uh, that's the most simplest way to gain access to just the glory of the cross and to actually even see it properly is ask God for mercy and he'll, and he'll help you.